Welcome to Finance to Futurist, a side trade podcast series on how innovation, data and AI are disrupting order to cash. Hi, this is Natalie Silverman for Side Trade. Welcome to Finance to Futurist. On today's episode, we're discussing an overlooked KPI called time to invoice. For many industries, time to invoice can represent a significant value and the hidden secret to unlocking DSO. Please welcome AVP of SideTrade, Bill North. Good morning, Bill, and thanks for sitting down for Finance to Futurist. Thanks, Natalie. Glad to be here. All right. Well, I always start off with a very easy question, then we'll get progressively harder. Today, you know, would love to hear more about yourself and your background and how you got to SideTrade. Sure. Well, my background is in corporate finance technology. So spent many years in the treasury management system space, spent a lot of time in the payments, uh, cross-border and domestic space. And I've spent about, say, about five years in the accounts payable and accounts receivable space, working with Fortune 500 multinational globals and evaluating and implementing technology. So this is not your first rodeo in terms of AP and AR? That's, it's definitely not, I don't know how many rodeo I've been to, but I guess you could call me a cowboy. (laughs) I love that. All right. So today's topic, it's a little bit different than maybe some of the other topics that we've tackled here on the podcast. So I'm going to give a little bit of background and then we'll get to my first question. You know, suppliers have invoiced their buyers the same way, I feel like for a very long time. And you know, my background, I actually worked in order to cash maybe five, six years ago. And I feel like it hasn't changed much where people are still doing very manual, sometimes slow, prone to error processes. And, you know, sometimes it's just easier to stick with the status quo. Obviously, global market drivers, inflation, all these, you know, macro events that are happening, it's causing this complexity, I think, to be even more accentuated. One thing that I'd like to talk to you about is a secret weapon that's out there that I feel like can help a lot of finance professionals. And it's finding that hidden value within the order to cash process. So that secret weapon we're going to introduce today is called time to invoice. And I wanted you to talk to me just about how you think this concept of time to invoice has a direct correlation with DSO. Absolutely. I think there's multiple factors that have influenced kind of the overlooking of what we call time to invoice. And I'll start with the concept of control. Oftentimes, leaders in looking at where technology and automation can help see the low-hanging fruit in the areas that they can more easily control. So you look at, like you mentioned, the proliferation of AP technology. That's an area that you can control, right? That's that's a lot of these platforms out there on the AP side are talking about you need to control your spend. And so in accounts receivable, you look at the first area of control, primarily that's collections, right? Because you can control how your collectors act and behave and how efficient they are. And technology can definitely help you there. But the area of time to invoice, right, is so dependent, the challenges are created by customer requirements. If companies only had to produce an invoice in one format on one day of the month, and the same thing could be used by every customer, then we wouldn't have this problem. But it's a balance, right? It's a balance of meeting customer requirements of putting the invoice in a certain format, including certain data, making sure it gets into an AP portal on the customer side in a certain format and having certain data. And so organizations lose a lot of that control. And and oftentimes they'll go after that collections efficiency or maybe cash application or other things, right? Again, you can more control it and we'll leave that invoice or time to invoice 
idea, maybe to the end. And in my perspective, is it's just as valuable to attack the time to invoice. No, that's a great point. And I guess my follow-up question would be, talk to me about how most organizations calculate DSO today. And again, controversial statement, but how do we get them to maybe think a little bit differently if you think personally that maybe it should start earlier in the cycle? So when we engage with prospective customers and existing customers, the measurement of DSO is at top of mind, right? Because that is the kind of industry accepted financial ratio that, quote unquote, measures your ability to collect products that you've sold or services. And at a high level, you can calculate DSO just from financial statements. But it's very interesting to me that DSO is very inconsistently talked about when you talk to financial leaders within global organizations and how do they measure their teams internally. Sometimes they call it DSO, sometimes they call it other things, maybe percentage of overdue payments. But even when you use DSO internally, potentially, we've talked to many financial leaders that start that DSO clock at different points in the process. Let me review a few data points recently that, that I've been privy to. So interestingly enough, I was attending and presenting at a CFO conference that was run by one of the large global analyst firms. In their session, they talked about DSO as being all-encompassing from the time that the product is sold and all the way to when cash gets applied, it gets collected and then applied. And those first two steps, they called invoice creation and invoice delivery, two distinct steps. We are referring that now at Sidetrade to what we call time to invoice for that whole process. And they absolutely put a stake in the ground saying, this should be included in your DSO calculation and how you measure your group internally. In my session at the show, I actually did a quick rough survey of the crowd. There was probably around 50 folks in the crowd. And interestingly enough, about half included what we call time to invoice in their internal reporting and half of them didn't. So just goes to show how inconsistently DSO gets applied and and, and measured within organizations. And again, I'll repeat what I just said a a couple of minutes ago, is that delays in invoicing have just as much financial impact as collections do in the value of DSO and and bringing back working capital of the company. So oftentimes it's inconsistently measured and it's a probably a harder challenge to solve because of the customer requirements. And that combination of those two drivers result in either folks not wanting to measure it, maybe to expose some inefficiencies, or just you know leaving it to a later challenge to solve. Let me get my collections correct. Let me get cash application correct. And billing or e-invoicing will kind of be the, the last one to solve. And, and we absolutely think that that's probably not the way to go. One thing that also I, I listened to during your session and the other session that you mentioned, you know, a lot of these industries, right, like oil and gas, transportation, logistics, it seems like they're dealing with things like field ticketing, right, or internal routing and even internal approvals processes. And some of those seem to be the root causes for why it's taking longer and why that it leads to delays before an invoice is even generated, right, and sent to a customer. So I don't know, do you have any advice or best practices on maybe how to avoid some of those root causes? And, you know, a lot of times it seems like it might be driven by those manual processes or, you know, the lack of integration maybe between systems internally and externally. But any advice you think for somebody that's maybe bringing this new concept of, oh, hey, we need to start calculating our DSO a little bit earlier in the cycle. And how can we do that and bypass some of these root causes? I think in addition to what you just said, Natalie, about the root cause of of what we will call pre-invoice workflow or, or process, I would add one more big driver with this, and that is 
the getting the invoices to the JP portals in the right format and then getting visibility. So let me let me talk about that in a minute. But I think the first thing that you evaluate, I would recommend is basic automation in this pre-invoice workflow, right? Which means if you're, like you said, oil and gas, the concept of field tickets, which essentially is just a confirmation by someone in your organization that the product that you ordered was delivered in good standing and in good shape, right? At the right place. So similar other industries have goods receipts or proof of deliveries, same type of concept, right? And those things, you're not going to have a choice. You have to do it. So a lot of companies are putting in automation around that process, a field ticketing system or you know some sort of integration between, let's say, uh, FedEx or UPS. You can integrate into their systems to get proof of deliveries, right? And that solves that one automation problem or challenge. Now, the key is when you look at attacking the invoicing problem, integration is key. You want your e-invoicing platform to be able to very easily integrate with these systems, field ticketing systems, PODs, goods receipts, and then also things like timesheets, right? For for a lot of the services-based industries, you have the concept of timesheets and maybe even timesheet approval, which oftentimes we'll see that it happens in one system completely independent of your invoicing system. And then there's a manual effort oftentimes to then reconcile that before you send the invoice. Because we've even come across some industries where if you get any data point wrong in your initial invoice, you have to reissue the invoice and you can't do it for the 30 days. So that's 30 days of DSO that you're adding to the process because you got potentially one data point wrong. So, you know, I think putting basic automation pre-invoice, integrating that, and then having your invoicing platform do data validation, even after that automation is done, doing a final check in the e-invoicing platform could potentially be that step where you validate that everything is correct in the invoice, it's the right format. And then to finish this off is you've got the invoice created. The data is all correct. We know it is. We've done all of our accuracy checks, but now you have to get it to say a third-party AP portal like an Ariba or a Coupa or a Talia, right? That's a whole different challenge because now you have to get that data in their format, include certain bits of information. Some of these portals have proprietary information that has to put in there. Network IDs is not going to live in your system, but it has to be in this invoice when you upload it. You can see that it's, and when you go to scale, it's potentially a huge problem. And oftentimes we see organizations just throw people at the problem because that's probably, it's not the most efficient, but it's the easiest thing to do is to throw people at this. And absolutely, this is an area that technology is the enabler, not people. I feel like this is a bit of deja vu because I mentioned to you, I did used to work in order to cash. And I feel like even five, six years ago, this was the same challenge that I used to hear over and over. It's AP complexity, but now it just seems like it's tenfold, right? Because there's probably 50 to 100 more AP systems out there now, right? Yeah, it just it's funny because I feel like I'm in the twilight zone listening to some of these same challenges. And one of them too that I, I'd like to ask you about is, I think I asked this five years ago, why is AR so far behind AP? And why is it still the case? It seems like, you know, receivables tends to still be an afterthought. That's a great question. And, and I would completely agree with you. A couple of factors, I think, lead into that. And that is number one, again, this concept of spend control has really been kind of pushed out there by the AP technology companies. And, and there is clear ROI in that area, right? It's, it's easy to see that you've got this much spend you know, you put this workflow around it, you put it, you centralize it on one platform and, and there's a good ROI there. And again, it's it's much easier to control the spend internally. And I think AR for, you know, for the ability and the prospect of bringing back working capital to the business, I got to tell you, I think it's just been a challenge. It's been probably a little bit harder to solve because of the customer influence into it. 
And then maybe it's just that that technology hasn't yet gotten to the point or is maybe a little bit behind an AP. You know, the good news is it's it's here now. Things like collaborative intelligence and, you know, AI and big data in on the AR side, where some technology platforms enable you to see how people are buying products and, and how they're paying invoices, then it'll help you. So I think it's it's getting there, but I would completely agree that it's, you know, the AP technology market is is quite large right now. All right, Bill, last question for you. Uh, we were at another conference actually a couple of weeks ago, and we talked to some of our clients and some prospects around the topic of employee retention, which I thought was interesting because we spend a lot of time talking about AI and technology, but we don't spend as much time thinking about how, like you just said, technology can enable finance teams. And a lot of times AI, I mean, what is it there for? It's not there to remove people from doing their jobs, right? It's actually there to give employees the tools that they need to do their jobs more effectively, more strategically. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because I don't think we focus as much on that concept of employee retention and finance. Natalie, it's a very timely question. In, in that conference I attended, that was there were multiple sessions on how to attract and retain talent and finance, right? And there's obviously compensation and work from home. And there, there's so many aspects that technology doesn't touch. But absolutely, I think everyone was in agreement that technology can be a differentiator, right? And you think about one area of, of AR that probably has the most headcount, that's collections. Collections is typically a very high turnover area, very competitive for talent, probably the most challenging area to attract and retain talent in AR. And, and so, you know, what, what I found is collectors want the ability to be efficient and productive. They don't want to waste effort in collecting, you know, just as much as the organization doesn't want them to waste it. But oftentimes the tools that they're left with, which could be Excel, it could be manual, it could be email, doesn't give them the ability to be that much more effective. I think it'll probably take, I would say, six to 18 months to get some more data on this and really understand the impact of it after this great resignation and post-COVID. But absolutely, finance leaders felt technology across the board was going to be a, a key differentiator in attracting and retaining talent. Thanks, Bill, for your insights into the future of finance. For SideTrade, this is Natalie Silverman. This has been another episode of Finance to Futurist, a SideTrade podcast series. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to our podcast on SideTrade.com or through your podcast platform of choice. Thanks so much for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by SideTrade and is for general information purposes only. All rights reserved.